true, I'm still the vicar. Um, I've not been here for several weeks, and um, you, none of you noticed, actually, I'm sure, but um, actually one person did, um, so it made me feel loved. Uh, a combination of COVID, some holiday, and then I was away, actually, uh, with Exeter Network Church recently, uh, who are part of the same network of churches that we're part of called New Wine, and interesting, the same prophetic sense being shared there when they gathered. So God is speaking through his spirit, which we believe he does in these days. So um, let's hold on to that big perspective as we continue to journey through 2022 together. Now, I'd like to start with a quick show of hands. Put your hand up if you deal with digital communication in your life in any way, shape, or form. Emails, text messages, WhatsApp, social media, some never-ending vortex of all of that. Yes, and some of us will have an extreme version of that. Others of you might have a more manageable version of that, but it can be pretty overwhelming, can't it? Uh, Certainly is my experience. I reckon I get on average about 500 emails and messages a week uh, for various things, not just All Saints. Uh, And although there's a process in place, in theory, uh, to process this never-ending stream, of incoming messages, all of which, actually not all of which, most of which are really important. Uh, It's all too easy for things to get missed uh, and for me to end up feeling completely overwhelmed. Productivity experts say that we really need robust, sort of consistent processes in place to handle our digital communications. Email was created as an attempt to reduce paperwork in the office. It's actually had the opposite effect, hasn't it? And now it's like, oh, death by email. Um, But the reality is most of us don't have those systems and processes in place. Productivity experts say that what we end up doing is creating some sort of unworkable attempt at a coping mechanism. And there are three things that apparently we all do to some extent or another. See if you recognize any of this. Number one, our inbox becomes our to-do list. Fatal, apparently. It's a very primitive one, and it stresses us out because we forget things on that list. If you go into your inbox and you use it as your to-do list, and you've got more than five things in there, then it's not going to work, is it, basically? Number two, we, uh, we just ignore a whole load of messages. I've got a friend who just says, oh, if it's important, they'll email back. Now, you can't do that in my world, and nor would I ever attempt to, but he says that it often works, but every so often... His hope that things will just go away backfires when he gets an email from somebody who's very understandably upset. The third thing we do, apparently, is we, we attempt some sort of system. So we create these folders, these structures, so, so we'll deal with it then. You know, a folder on your inbox saying, deal with tomorrow. Anyone got one of those? The problem is we never open the folder. So these things just get lost, and eventually they find their way back. So it's no surprise, is it? that some of us will wake up in the night with cold sweats because we've remembered something that we should have done. Or you get that email or stroppy phone call from your boss and you have this panic attack because you're like, oh, heck. Can you relate to any of this? Some of you more than others, lots of nods in the room. Now, the other week, I achieved something that I've only ever done twice before. I spent a whole day, literally a whole day, clearing the backlog of all my emails and messages, new wine, all saints, personal, all that sort of stuff. And I achieved the holy grail of productivity. Some of you will have heard of the phrase, inbox zero. 
oh, it was glorious. There was this moment of liberation and joy, and I did a little jig around the study, even though there was no one at home, and the dog looked at me like I was mad. But for that moment, I felt free, until five minutes later, when the bishop had emailed me, and back round we went. Now, I say all of that uh, because I think it's a helpful metaphor or parallel for how we do or don't handle all the pain and hurt and conflict and disappointment and loss and confusion that all of us are dealing with to some degree or another on a daily basis because the world is broken, we are imperfect, and that is the common human experience, what this series has been all about. Whether it's external stuff coming our way or the internal stuff that often comes up within us as we face things that happen to us. All too often, if we're honest, we find ourselves unable to cope and process all the stuff that comes our way. And we find ourselves at times, if we're not careful, stressed, depressed, struggling, low, just overwhelmed and anxious. We might try to ignore what we're experiencing and feeling, but those things don't go away. We lose track of important things in our relationships. Or we tell ourselves, yeah, I'm really aware of that issue in me or that issue with someone else, but I haven't got headspace now, so I'm going to deal with it when I've got that work project out of the way, or I'm going to wait till after I'm back from holiday. But of course, what happens is we never get around to it because that is an attempt actually to avoid the thing in the first place. And it's often only a matter of time before things come back to us or get so big within us that they hijack us and we actually have to face them. Breakdowns that some of us will have experienced, burnouts that some of us know all too much about, they happen when there's a backlog that just accumulates and accumulates and eventually trips us up. And just like the productivity experts tell us that we need to develop effective ways to deal with our digital communication, I think the same is true for how we deal with the stuff of life. And as apprentices of Jesus, for those of us who would say that's who we are, we follow Jesus, we're invited into a way of life that is intended to let us live freely and lightly as we go. We're not meant to be carrying lots of baggage around with us, holding it all, attempting to juggle all the stuff of life whilst actually living. The invitation is to live lightly and freely. That's what we've been trying to tease out over the last couple of weeks as we've looked at some of the ways that actually without Jesus in the mix, we attempt to deal with all of that stuff that we've talked about, the pain, the hurt, the conflict, the disappointment, that actually are unhelpful and at times unhealthy, both for us and for other people. We end up with some sort of semi-functional but at times dysfunctional coping mechanisms to try and avoid the hurt, to try and manage the pain, to try to kind of find ways around the issue rather than actually confronting something. And all of that makes it hard for God to do stuff in us, to set us free and bring us healing. But also they thwart and hinder and strain our relationships. We keep on saying in this series, don't we, that pain which we don't let God transform is pain that we will transmit. Pain that isn't transformed, we transmit it. 
And that is, if you remember nothing else from this series, remember that. We can all too easily, can't we, project our stuff onto somebody else or something else as an attempt. But it ultimately still comes back round because it needs resolving deep within us. We've looked, I hope you've tracked with this series, at how the scriptures invite us into a different way of living. They invite us to bring our stuff to God and let him love us in it and help us deal with it and process it in a healthy and mature way. But we have to make a choice to do that. It is ultimately a choice. And the choice sometimes feels really hard, doesn't it? Because it requires vulnerability. And bringing stuff to God often involves bringing stuff to God with the help of someone else, sharing with someone else what's going on. And we can sometimes feel shame and guilt and embarrassment. But actually, that is the way. It's what's called confession. Not just confessing our sin, but confessing the truth of the reality of our world and our moment. Confessing the reality of it and bringing it into the light so God can do something with it. Max Licardo, the great writer, says this. The next time you find yourself alone in a dark alley facing the undeniables of life, don't cover them with a blanket or ignore them with a nervous grin. Don't turn up the TV and pretend they aren't there. Instead... Stand still, whisper his name, and listen. He is nearer than you think. This God we worship is the God that sees the mess of human history, sees the mess of our lives, and incarnates himself into that for love's sake. He's not freaked out by your stuff and my stuff. And if we want to be truly free, and learn to live freely as we go, then letting God do his thing is the key. So today we're going to ask the question, how do we do that as we wrap this series up? And the key text for us is Matthew chapter 11, a couple of verses that you will know very well if you've been around the church any length of time. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. All you, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, I am gentle, and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, not body, souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is a text that we often refer back to when we feel tired and weary, and rightly so, because that is part of the invitation. If you're weary, come and find rest. But actually, it's a way more profound and radical and beautiful invitation than that. In these three verses, Jesus is offering us a whole way of life that, when fully embraced, leads to freedom and joy. And notice, as ever with Jesus, there's an invitation and a challenge. The invitation is to come to him. Come. God doesn't impose himself upon us. We have to choose him, to choose to seek after him. We need to choose to go to him. That's the invitation. The invitation is not to embrace a system and a set of rules. It's to go to a person, Jesus, who has embraced all the suffering and pain of the world and processed it once and for all on the cross 
and was raised from the dead so that we might know freedom. Why would we not say yes to that invitation? And the challenge that comes with it is taking up his yoke. Choosing, in other words, to take on a different way of life, a different way of thinking, a different way of behaving, a different way of believing about who we are and how we do things as a human. His way, not our way, because his way is the way. Choosing to trust it in faith, that when we let God do it his way, something happens that could not happen any other way. Come to me, take my yoke. The words there, this this metaphor is about the burdens, the heaviness of life. The life without Jesus breaks us. We can't carry it. We end up burdened and heavy laden. But he says, but my way of life is light. There are things that I'll ask you to carry for the sake of the kingdom. But the stuff that happens to you because of the dysfunction of the world, you don't have to carry that. You bring that to me and you lay it at my feet because I've dealt with it on the cross. More of that in a moment. Philip Yancey, the great writer, says this, God wants us to choose to love him freely, even when that choice involves pain, because we are committed to him, not to our own good feelings and rewards. He wants us to cleave to him. That's this old word for like binding ourselves, covenanting ourselves to him. As Job did, Job in the Old Testament, even, notice this, when we have every reason to deny him hotly. In other words, when we get it, we choose, Jesus, you are the way. I trust you. It's the only way through and out. So how do we do this? Three suggestions this morning. Three things that uh, I think we all need to do, and I'm not going to spend long on each of them. Don't worry. But these are essentially practices and postures of our heart. These aren't rules to keep and things we can tick off. These are ways of being with God in the world, ways of responding to what happens to us, to what we seek happen within us in such a way that we are healthy and holy as a result. And the scriptures have so much to teach us. So number one, the first suggestion for me would be that we need to be people who recognize fully the reality of the situation. It begins there. It begins with us acknowledging what it is that we're experiencing, facing it in its fullness, as hard as that is, because the, uh, the truth is we need to do that if we're ever to kind of find a way out of it. And, and if we don't do that, what we risk doing is defaulting to these learnt coping mechanisms that we develop as we grow up. Uh, we've looked at those over the last two weeks, haven't we? That uh, attempt to minimize or rationalize or, or justify or deny the reality, somehow contain it and control it in such a way that we attempt to protect ourselves and to justify ourselves, but actually that doesn't work. And so what we've got to do is go, this is the reality. This is where it's my fault. This is what they did to me. This is how it feels. This is the cost of what I've just done or not done. God, I'm just going to sit in it. I'm going to face it. Because if I don't, I can't, actually, you can't help me with it. I'm just going to pretend it's not there or control it or package it or walk away. Or, but it doesn't go away. It just stays and accumulates, as we all know. And so Jesus' invitation here is to go to him, not when we're sorted. It's not like, hey, Jesus, I've, I've done quite a good job, actually, of auditing the mess and struggle of the last X years of my life. I've got some categories. I've kind of done a bit of analysis. And so this is pain that I've received from someone else. 
Can we talk about that in session one? And session two, here's all the stuff I got wrong. That's session two. Is that all right? And here's the stuff that I think I've kind of dealt with, but maybe you just want to check. And I think there's just a couple of things left. Can we talk about those? That's not how Jesus wants us to come to him. But that is how we operate without him, isn't it? One or another way of doing that. That's some version of that is what we'll end up doing. Jesus says, come to me as you are, burdened, heavily laden, weighed down by the stuff of this life. I get it. I hung on a cross and took it all for you. I, I know. It's the ultimate act of empathy. I know your pain. I know your suffering. I know your hurt. I know your fear. I know your disappointment. I've sat in the garden and wept tears of blood because of the agony and pain I was in. I know. I know what it's like for you in the dark night of your soul. I know because I've been there. And I went there for you. So come to me. And let me hold you. And let me love you. And let me meet you in that place. And let me do something with all of that. I'm not looking for you to package it and present yourselves. That's what every other religion attempts to do. That's what the world is attempting to do. Jesus says, no, come to me. What a gift. And this is really hard. Like I said, I get it. I find this hard. I'm really good. I'm so adept at putting up, you know, coping mechanisms. I'm, I, you know, let's talk all day about, you know, what has, I've tried but it doesn't work. We've got to come just as we are. And the scriptures are really helpful for us. They keep it real. I know sometimes we can look at the scriptures and think, oh, it's just the kind of the good stuff. But actually, go and have a, week, a read through. Job. Like, woe to Job. He's just like, oh, I'm a sinner. I'm a mess. Woe to me. I'm a slug. But God, you love me. The psalmist. The psalms are all full of joy and praise. Notice this one, Psalm 38. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I'm bowed down and brought very low all day long. I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. Oh, I'm feeling like I'm having a better day than he is. It's in the scriptures. Life's hard. And God says, come to me. Notice what it goes on to say. It's not on the screen. All my longings lie open before you, Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay far away. We've all got those stories, but Jesus sees you, sees me in that and says, come, 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 and let me take it from you and give this freedom to you. That's the divine exchange that happens on the cross. It's a gift. Come, let me, let me have that. And it's a messy, slow process, but the fruit of that is freedom and joy. Jesus said himself, didn't he, Matthew 9, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come for the sick, not the righteous, he says. So it's okay not to be okay, friends. God's okay with us not being okay. What's not okay is to be paralyzed and trapped and defined by the stuff of life. 
We've got to go to Jesus and let him liberate us. And this is important. I'm, I'm laboring this first point because sometimes if we're not careful, we believe these lies that we can only go to God when we've got so far. We can't go to God until we've sorted ourselves out enough. That's not the truth. Tim Keller says this, one of the main ways we move from abstract knowledge about God to a personal encounter with him as a living reality is through the furnace of affliction. It's in the pain and suffering that we meet God more than ever. So saying yes to the reality is actually the way we find God most powerfully in our lives. C.S. Lewis put it like this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Let's face our pain. Number two, respond in faith. Or put another way, respond to what we're experiencing in ways that allow us to encounter God's love and grace in the midst of what we're grappling with and experience his healing power as a result. The invitation of God is to come to him in real time, learning to handle things as they happen, living lightly and freely. And so we have to do certain things to help us do that. Here's a few suggestions. It's not an exhaustive list. Number one, remember, and we sang about it just now, remember the goodness and promises of God. I find that I need to remind myself of this over and over again. I forget. Is it just me? Like, I'm super good at forgetting the truth about who God is. Psalm 147 says this, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. That's who God is. That's what he does. Doesn't say maybe, might do, sometime will, sometimes doesn't. No, he does. He heals and he binds. That's what God does when we let him. I also know that I'm really good at trying to deal with things in my own strength and my own intellect. But followers of Jesus are called to trust and love in the ways of God, to trust in who he is, but also his ways, his methods. His ways aren't our ways. They're better. (laughs) They're more effective. So Proverbs 3, that famous verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. It might just be me, but I recognize for me that one of the things that I often have to grapple with as I try to come to God is, is, is recognize the paralyzing impact of anxiety and fear. Anxiety and fear. They paralyze us as we attempt to process the stuff that's going on. And we all experience those things, don't we? Some perhaps more than others. And unchecked, what anxiety and fear do is they, they cause us to default back to our self-reliant, ineffective coping mechanisms. Often, if we're honest, because there's some shame and guilt at times caught up in all of that. And so we find ourselves just going, oh. But in anxiety and fear, we sort of defend ourselves. But actually, God says, do not be afraid. Do not be anxious. Do not worry. Famous Bible stat, you all know this probably, maybe not all of you, you can have it for free today, ladies and gentlemen. There's a do not worry for every day of the year in the Bible. 365 times, do not worry. Martha, Martha, you're worried about so many things. Do not worry. So Paul says this in Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, 
with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Present your requests. God, help me in this. That's sometimes the most beautiful, profound prayer you'll ever pray. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, makes no earthly sense, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He's with us. In it. Because he's so for us. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In Christ there is freedom. We looked last week, didn't we, at the impact that our unprocessed pain and hurt can have on others. The way that we can unintentionally often strain relationships because of our stuff transmitted, transferred. And so particularly, I I want to suggest that responding in faith involves choosing to be people of grace and mercy towards other people, adopting a posture of grace and mercy to one another, even when it's costly, even when we've been wronged and are hurt. That's the way we change the tape of the world. So Paul writes, doesn't he, in Ephesians 4, we looked at that last week, be kind and compassionate to one another. Be kind. Be kind. Compassionate. Show loving compassion to others. Forgive each other, just as in Christ forgave you. This doesn't mean we ignore what's happened. It doesn't mean we just do that nice English thing, and go, it's okay, really. And then walk away going, do you ever do that? It's fine. Uh, Sorry. That's my attempt to stay vaguely on time. Um, we all do that, don't we? we? We do the nice English thing. Maybe it's not only English thing, that kind of... But actually, let's be kind and compassionate and then say, but do you know what? We do need to have a conversation about that because you really hurt me. Or actually, I know you don't want to talk about it. I want to say I'm really sorry. I want to explain to you why I handled you really badly. And I recognize the pain I've caused and I'd like to learn from that. And I'd love to be able to say I'm sorry and hear you say I forgive you and for us to be able to pray for a few moments so that we're not, neither one of us walks away from those encounters with a bag of stuff. Often it's at this level that it really hurts and really costs. And, you know, time and time again in church life, I find myself helping other people do that or having to do that myself. Healthy churches, healthy families, healthy friendship groups are the ones that deal with the stuff in real time where kindness and mercy and grace abound. Not to avoid the issue, but so that we can process it really well. And go, do you know what? We're in this together. Because it was me this time, but it could easily be you next time. It's a posture of our hearts. Kindness and compassion. And then finally, I want to suggest, number three, we need to learn to be people who rejoice in hope. So we head towards Easter through Holy Week. This is a reminder to us that we are called to live with an eternal perspective as the people of God. The promise of the Christian faith that we can be sure and certain of, as we know, is that there is a day coming when Jesus will return and he will finish what he started and there will be an end, finally, once and for all, to all pain and all suffering and all sickness. We will escape this vortex of stuff once and for all. And so we live with that uh, horizon of hope and we live according to that. That's why we can do grace and mercy and compassion. 
We learn to be people who have hope center stage in our lives, who, who look and embrace the stuff of this life with the perspective of eternity and hold it lightly and say, God, you can deal with this. You've dealt with this unto that. That day is coming, and I'm going to live in, light of, in the light of that day. So Paul writes in Romans verse chapter 8, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, not to us, in us, when God has finished that deep work within us, perfecting in us the image of his glory, Paul writes elsewhere. Don't compare the stuff and the challenge of this life. Don't lose sight of that because of this stuff. This stuff is real and it matters, but let's deal with it so we can live into that. That is the biblical imperative for us. And this helps disarm and de-escalate a lot of what we grapple with. We go, ah, it's that, but I'm called to live into that. So I'm going to deal with that as I head that way. I'm not going to let this become my world. I'm not going to let this stuff define me. I'm not going to let it determine my story, my trajectory. I'm not going to become a victim of the mess of life because otherwise I get trapped by that and I just end up hurting other people. I'm going to embrace the way of suffering. I'm going to follow my Lord and take up my cross. Jesus said we will have suffering in this life. It's how we deal with it that makes the difference. And what we find as we do this is that the way of life that we're looking for is found through the way of embracing suffering. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's on the other side that we find freedom. There is no bypass around it. The way out is through. It's saying, here it is. Here's my stuff. And until I bring it to you, Lord, until I bring it to you in the context of what you're doing in the sweep of history, it will always be there somewhere in my inbox or my archive folder my deleted messages but actually you invite me to hand it over to you and so whilst we don't believe for one moment that God causes the suffering we can be confident that he turns it for our good when we let him so elsewhere in Romans Paul says this not only so but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance perseverance character and character hope The people who are most free are not those who live a life that is pain and hurt and disappointment free. People attempt to inoculate themselves from it all the time. And the more money you have, the easier it is to try to do that. But it doesn't work. The people who are most free are the ones who every morning come to the cross of Christ in humble submission and dependence and say, God, this day, Give it to me this day, what I need to live lightly and freely. The stuff that comes my way, the stuff that comes up within me, I give it to you. I trust it with you. I'm going to lay it down. I'm going to confess it. I'm going to let you love me and heal me. And I'm going to learn to be really good at saying sorry. And I'm going to try and again to forgive so that I can live into that freedom that you saved me for. And we do it together. That's why we sing the songs we do, because they remind us of our story. That's why we gather and pray for one another, because we don't do it on our own. That's why we need each other. That's why we sit and look at each other and go, are you okay? Tell me how you're doing. And when someone hurts us, we say, I'm going to forgive you because Jesus has forgiven me. And unless I do that, we don't unlock this pattern. That's the way of life.
that we're called to. It's hard, but it's better than any other option. Amen? Let's be still for a moment. This is heavy because it matters. And you all this morning, whether you're at home or here in the room, have pain and struggle and disappointment. I do. You do. We all do. Let's learn to be a community that um, brings it to God in real time and helps each other learn how to do that. Let's be still and ask the Spirit of God to speak to us. Maybe to spotlight some stuff for us to respond to in a moment. Lord, we recognize that in one way or another, all of us find ways to try to handle the stuff of life that doesn't work. But that the invitation is to come to you, to let you do it your way. And so this morning, we say again, we trust you. If you're able, maybe in the quiet of your hearts, just to say, God, yeah, I'm choosing, choosing this morning to come to you and trust you. God, we recognize that there's so much stuff that we try to package, manage, hide away, forget about, but it's there. And you've come to set us free, truly free. So it may be helpful if there's stuff that's come to mind that you know is unprocessed, still there in your life. Just say, God, I've got this stuff. I don't even understand it. I can't explain it. I don't know what to do about it, but it's here. I'm going to bring it to you now. I'm going to ask you. ask you to do it your way. For some of us, there's such deep hurt and pain that we've actually locked it away. It's too hard. And if that's you, I'm I'm not going to make you do anything about it right now other than to acknowledge it and say, you can be free of that. Come and talk to me at the end. We'd love to help you with that. Jesus has unlocked the doors of the prisons that we make for ourselves. And invites us to step out, but it's a process that needs to be done well and carefully. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to finish with a song, and then after that song, the opportunity will be there for prayer. 
I'm going to do that now because I recognize for many of us who would like to be prayed for this morning, it will uh, it'd be good, A, for the cameras, no 